Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Cheer! Welcome to another He's Just Podcast. Today we're coming to you from Connecticut, the campus of University of New Haven. Super proud as an alum. And today's guests will shine light on teaching, on being a reader and why that is powerful. But I want first to remind everyone that this platform was built because often as people we are labeled and overlooked. Our plight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. I'm also blessed to report that the He's Just podcast will now begin to be streamed on 90.3 FM, New York, Harlem's Voice Radio. I am so proud of that. I am also proud of the fact of today's invited guests. Today's title of our show is Reading is Power. And I will introduce to you Miss Latoya Lyle. She is a certified reading specialist at an elementary school. She was raised by an amazing Jamaican hardworking parent in Brooklyn, New York. She's worked in elementary school for seven years as, an, as a teacher and two years as a writing improvement teacher. So that's five years teaching and two years of a writing improvement intervention specialist. I am so proud because I am so close to her. She's a person that I like to bounce ideas from. She's a friend, a colleague, a sister, a mentor to me. No further ado, Miss Lyle, welcome. Thank you, Jules. Thank you so much for having me. I want to just start by, I'm just so proud of you. I'm happy Thank to you. be here and um, journeys are amazing. And let's keep the journeys going. <laughs> you know, for me, having this show was important because as a reader, I understand that, that this allows me to kind of learn content, even as an adult, to capture some of this. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey in the field of education and how did that start out for you? Yes, so I graduated from UNH with a criminal justice investigative service mm. um, bachelor's degree and later on came back within education. I taught kindergarten and first grade. I was a fifth grade um, program director and, and I wanted to learn more about helping children to become lifelong readers. Mm. So I saw deficits, I saw struggles with reading, I saw everything that they were experiencing and I know that I needed a better way to solve the problem. I had the classroom management down. I had the joy and the love in the classroom. I had mm. the safety down, but being able to efficiently teach reading was a challenge for me. So I went back. Um, I went back and I received my six year remedial reading mm. degree and acquired a Wilson dyslexia certification. And, you know, reading has always been a part of my life. Mm. And it's been a solace for me It's where I've I've gone to escape mm. and I want to spread that love and joy for reading to others. And my goal has been to develop lifelong readers within my students and still strength through positive affirmations and mm -hmm. reinforcement, reinforcement and, you know, bring culture into the classroom. And I loved helping and maintaining communication with families that were in my class. So with that, you know, I'm preparing, you know, working within my business and helping parents become knowledgeable and confident mm -hmm. and assisting their child with developing strong reading skills, mm -hmm. you know, that foundation of reading. Mm -hmm. And um, 
providing individualized reading instruction. So when we start thinking about this as an African-American teacher, um, were there moments when you became a teacher that you were thinking about what's important? What do I need to do first? Can you walk us a little bit through that? Um, well, let me begin with why I decided teaching mm. and uh, how I got there. The funny thing is that I started my career studying investigative services in criminal justice. Mm. How I got there was because my mom always tried to find opportunities for us growing up, whether it be sending us to a free camp mm -hmm. during the summer or signing us up with the Jackie Robinson program after school. Mm. She just tried to get us involved in so many different things. I have the, had the privilege of going to a really small junior high school in Brooklyn called PPCMS. Mm. There were less than 200 seventh and eighth grade students there. And um, they partnered with NYU mm. for a program called STEP, Science, Technology and Engineering Program. Mm -hmm. Within that program, all the seventh graders had to take forensic science. And during that time in the early 2000s, it was the um, height of this crime scene investigation shows. So mm -hmm. I absolutely fell in love with it. And from there, I said, this is what I'm going to go to college for. Um, and when I started in college, there was teaching kind of always came through me mm -hmm. in conversations that I had with my friends and mm -hmm. conversations I had with professors. But I continued studying criminal justice until my junior year. Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, I should have gone to school for teaching. Mm -hmm. Why should mm -hmm. I have gone to school for teaching? Because when I was eight years old and nine years old, when mm -hmm. I got an allowance, my mom gave me $2 or $5. Mm -hmm. I got my ICs. I got my peanut chews. Mm -hmm. I got my quarter waters. Mm -hmm. But I always saved money to go to the stationery store on Flatbush Avenue to buy scented stickers, mm -hmm. grade books, mm -hmm. colored pens. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Because I was the number one eight-year-old teacher with all my friends and we would all play mm -hmm. together and I was always the teacher. I had a chalkboard, mm -hmm. I had things set up. I always had this need to want to teach and help others. So after graduating with an investigative services background, I was kind of in limbo for a little bit. And, mm. you know, I just realized that I really should have gone for teaching to begin with. So I went back and I got my master's and started that journey within teaching. Mm. Because in doing criminal justice, I wanted to be the best crime scene investigator so that I can keep our people out of jail. That's what I told myself. Mm. <laughs> and, yes. And I realized, well, I don't think I really want to be around all this gore. And um, what about working with children? What about mm -hmm. starting there when they're younger? Mm -hmm. What impact can I have on children mm -hmm. that I saw in my classrooms growing up who mm -hmm. were troubled and, mm -hmm. you know, had different things going on that I didn't understand about or children who were like me. Mm -hmm. I was silent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I kept to myself. Yes. I had one or two friends. Um, and I also had some teachers that weren't very kind to mm. me and my friends in the classroom. And I just wanted to be better than that. Mm -hmm. So teaching was where I needed to be, how I could give back. Can you take us a little bit to that eight year old Miss Lyle, who was the teacher? I mean, did you notice at any point that you now you're in a school where you're getting exposure to a great program and there's only like 200? of you, so mm -hmm. to speak. Were there times that you felt to yourself, 
even though I feel secure here, there are things that I'm really worried about as I continue to grow. And I know that now you began to untap in your in your mind about some of the future aspects that you had. Was there any moment that you understood then that reading was important for you as an eighth grade teacher, so to speak, to your friends? Um, I think that when I think back to it, there were different parts that stood out to me, mm-hmm. which is how I interacted with my quote unquote place students in the classroom, mm-hmm. which was being positive, which was being reinforcing, yes. which was speaking back into them. Oh my goodness, you did such a great job. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love the way that you read that. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in junior high school, my friends and I loved reading different books together. Mm-hmm. So this was like, you know, when the newest movie comes out and everybody wants to talk about the newest movie, for us, it was the newest book that dropped. Mm. What um, book did Omar Tyree just drop that we needed to absolutely go and buy Mm -hmm. and read together and talk about it on the playground? Mm -hmm. Um, Special moments that I had would be reading to my mom. Mm. Um, When she would come home from work, she worked two jobs sometimes and and I would want to sit down and just read with her. Mm. And for me, reading with her was me reading to her until she fell asleep. <laughs> you know, and being able to express that, being able to read and share what I loved about reading, which was disappearing into the characters, mm-hmm. disappearing into the plots. Mm-hmm. Um, that was important for me. And also in middle school was the first time that I, I had a white teacher that actually read black books with us, mm. b- books written by black authors. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I know I fell in love with that teacher because of the fact that she brought in books written by African-Americans. So now, before we jump into that, tell us a little bit, reading is so important to you as we're starting to gather now. It was an escape for you. There were visits that you and mom did. There was things about books hooked on phonics. Mm -hmm. You know, there were moments that you know that, you know, reading was an escape for you. Was it, what is it, loneliness? Were you worried? What was that escape for you growing up? Yeah, it was definitely a lot of escapes. Um, Well, we, yes, it, it was, a part of it was I was a very anxious child mm-hmm. and it wasn't very easy for me to connect with people or children in new spaces. So mm-hmm. I, I got lost in my books mm-hmm. whenever I was feeling overwhelmed or, you know, having some anxiety, I would just pick up my book and I would read and I could read mm-hmm. with my head down for hours. Um, in high school, sometimes the fear of riding on the trains and hoping that there wasn't a fight that broke out mm-hmm. or that, you know, someone didn't try to jump somebody else because of a gang initiation, I would lose myself in my books with my head down. Mm. So that was a safety net for me. Mm. There was one summer where um, we moved from somewhere that I was completely used to where I grew up and we moved to a different block. And on that block, there were a lot of different things that happened and things that Mm. I didn't want to be involved in. Mm. And um, I stayed home for a whole summer and I read books every single day. (laughs) And I wasn't bored. I didn't even feel lonely. It was better than watching TV. Mm. It was just disappearing into a new world. And so, you know, just being able to connect with the characters from reading different books like The Coldest Winter Ever, ever True mm. to the Game, all mm. of these different things that brought me to a different world. 
was an escape that was soothing, mm -hmm. fun, relaxing. Mm -hmm. It was my social and emotional self-care <laughs> yeah, at and a young age. Now that you bring that out for the audiences to hear, thank you for sharing that. I think that is utmost important when parents are seeing students who are grabbing a book. This is a sign that a student is using their coping skills, that a student is using or tapping into their emotional intelligence. So this is a great way to have those conversations around when a student is soaring in one area, such as reading or their love for books. This is a great way for you to connect. So thank you so much. So when you were starting to now look at this and you began to discover that reading was critical, you know, you began to think about, well, I'm not going to get involved with CSI. I'm actually going to become like a teacher. Mm -hmm. I want to go forward with this. What was some of that for you that was important now that you really was going to be a school teacher? In the beginning, it was kids having access to books. Mm -hmm. So when I began teaching, it was always important for me to have a library. It was always important for me to have kids go in and touch and explore books and to pick up any book they wanted and to just teach them, okay, we're in kindergarten, mm -hmm. you cannot read yet, mm -hmm. but is there a different way that you can read for right now until you have learned the foundations for, for reading? Can we, let's just, look at this story, they're four years old. You know, I have a student who doesn't even know their letters, mm. but that does not mean I can't let this child touch this book, mm. right? They're gonna have access to everything. So when I began teaching, the most important thing for me was to have a variety of books in my class. I, I spent so much money, Scholastic, <laughs> Scholastic books. From your own pocket. Oh dude. my goodness. <laughs> when I go back to look at how many hundreds of dollars I spent just to mm -hmm. build a library, I went into a classroom that had nothing in it. It was, mm -hmm. it was bare. Mm -hmm. um, the school had ordered a few, maybe two or three boxes of books, but I, I needed like 10 more boxes. And so my students understood um, just in kindergarten, at four years old, they understood mm -hmm. that I don't know everything, how to read this book, but I can look at the pictures and I can try to get some information from that. How can I interact with this text? Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't want to hold them in any box of a, of a leveled reading system because in schools, they have leveled reading systems where if a student falls at a specific reading level, they have to stay within that level. Mm. So if I'm at level E, I can't even touch a book at level K. Mm. But what if that level K book is all about the dinosaurs I want to learn about? Or what if it's all about how to be a doctor? Yes. And now I can't even get my hands on it. So from then, I the main thing with, with teaching and moving into it is that I knew kids need to have access to information. And you need to have access to being able to read. Um, so that was very important for me. And then as I went through as an educator, I realized I needed to learn more about how to teach the foundations of reading. Well, you know, now looking at this from a bigger scale, and thank you for talking about kindergarten kids and needing access, because I think that that's important. If a student wants a level E and they're only on level B, let's not stop them from being curious, from being exploratory. I'm thinking about a stat that you've talked about before, learning about the high percentage of inmates who are illiterate. Mm -hmm. And this is a stat of a study that was conducted in 2003. Mm -hmm. 
this percentage is probably still similar today. How mm -hmm. does that stand for you as a African-American leader in that aspect, coming from that teacher side? How does that touch you? When I think about the fact that this stat is from 2003, mm -hmm. it's 20 years ago, and our students of color are still performing way less than our, our white students. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. So what has actually changed? Mm. Um, what is actually happening in the classroom that is teaching kids the foundations of how to decode? Decoding is the number one success, the successor of reading. Mm -hmm. Phonological awareness is it starts with phonological awareness, mm -hmm. the ability to, without even looking at words, the ability to manipulate sounds and words and create new words, mm. the ability to take off the first sound. If you, how do you go from mad and say mad without the mm and they say add? Mm -hmm. The simplest, the simplest foundation of reading, then moving into the decoding and learning not just your ABCs. Mm -hmm. You can learn your ABCs and know that A says ah. Mm -hmm. But what does the vowel pattern AI say? It mm -hmm. says A, right? What 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 is a suffix? What is a prefix? What are all of these things? And so mm -hmm. when I think about our students who are still performing way below grade level, mm -hmm. it brings back to the whole system of of teaching mm -hmm. and the reading programs that are out here now because we put so much um value in these reading programs. Mm -hmm. And the reason that there isn't just one is because everyone needs to make money, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to get their hands in and and make some type of a profit. But the foundation of reading and teaching those foundational skills need to be mastered mm -hmm. so that students can now be able to read and have fluency in their reading. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be in eighth grade and reading a word, a sentence, one word at a time. Mm. If I am struggling in decoding, mm -hmm. I'm having a much more difficult time with comprehension. And what type of materials are we putting in front of our children of color that is engaging them? Mm -hmm. What access do they have to different grade level text? Are we still trying to push them to the higher standard as well? Mm -hmm. You know, you said a lot, and, 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 and me, myself, I'm taking that in, in that there's so much to be said about how difficult it is to be a teacher. And I think that you talked about now that COVID kind of brought a lot of national attention. And we're thinking about this, the livelihood of our teachers, this includes us. You know, there is burnout. There's some career path changing. You know, there's early retirement, et cetera. There is so much that people don't understand of how difficult it is to be a teacher. What are things that that you look for people to understand? And this, tell us from the lens of an African-American teacher who was trying to fight this inner battle that you just shared. Um, we constantly have to battle how we were raised. Mm our professionalism and maintaining the expectation for our students who are in front of us. And sometimes the way that we move mm. gets looked down upon 
there are oftentimes we could be the only color teacher of color in the building mm -hmm. um or just few of us and you know we're in front of children who look like us mm -hmm. which that's what we hope for mm -hmm. and we have high expectations for our students because of where we come from and we don't just see them as being that uh, six-year-old in the classroom or that 10-year-old, we're thinking about them as mm -hmm. graduates. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about where is their life going to take them when they're 18. We're thinking about mm -hmm. what opportunities do they have at home mm -hmm. or they don't, they have or they don't have. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly thinking of how can we raise this adult? How can we raise this child to be an adult, a successful adult? Mm -hmm. How can we help them progress in the Black race? Mm -hmm. Um we 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 have hearts and we're tender but it may look a little bit different mm -hmm. because within our culture raising children is different um and we all see things in different ways and so we try our best to be able to help our students out just like all teachers do mm -hmm. all teachers go home and they're always thinking about their kids it's not just mm -hmm. teachers of color mm -hmm. um however times when we notice some micro microaggressions mm -hmm. <clears throat> or times when we notice some unjust act that's happening and we have to figure out how to combat that. Mm -hmm. We have to still figure out how to connect with families. Mm -hmm. We have to figure out how to help this family get food on their table mm. to make sure that this family has shelter, yeah. to make sure that, okay, um, this child may be being brought up for special education, but are we doing all that we can here? Mm -hmm. Have I been trained with everything I need to be trained with? Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're just always thinking about their futures. So for me, you know, teaching is difficult. And obviously, thank you for sharing some of your own challenges and things that you do and maybe teachers, all teachers think about. But have you had your own struggles with regulating your emotions? I mean, teaching is fast paced. It's a career that we choose for all the reasons that you said before. And there are things that we do to support these students, they become our own kids. What are things that you do to kind of diffuse some of that burnout or breaking down, if you will? Um, it has taken me a really long time <laughs> to figure mm -hmm. out how to self-care. Mm -hmm. um, some things that I've, I used to do in the classroom was bringing essential oils. Mm. <laughs> you know about the essential oils, yeah, yeah. Um, whether it be lavender and orange yes. or eucalyptus and mint. Mm -hmm. And the kids would, Miss Lyle, what is that? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they know that this is to help us start our morning. This yeah. is how we're going to begin our day. Yeah. Um, there are there are a lot of other things I did in the classroom to try to manage the flow of things and to keep on top of everything and to help the kids even not feel mm -hmm. stress mm -hmm. and keeping myself de-stressed mm -hmm. so that they don't feel my stress. So that would include the classroom management part, right? Mm -hmm. To make sure that things are flowing in the classroom the way it needed to flow. I mean, I was down to how do you put your your jacket on the hook? Mm. How, where should your book bag be? Go ahead. Right? I was down to, oh, we have all this stuff on the floor. We can't continue learning. Like mm -hmm. everything needs to be organized so that we can be successful in this space. So I think it started with how things were set up in my classroom mm. in order for kids to be successful so that I wasn't trying to manage as much mm -hmm. because that added stress to my plate. Mm -hmm. um, 
the next thing I I tried to do, which I thought was managing my stress, was trying to stay on top of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means that I was bringing work home, mm -hmm. trying to bring work home. Mm -hmm. It means that I was always trying to make, okay, um, little Ben over there, he needed these specific sight words, so I need mm -hmm. to take this home and I need to make the sight words for him. So mm -hmm. I was always doing something that involved planning for my kids, mm -hmm. even on the weekends, mm -hmm. even on vacations. Mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't allowing me to be my best self. Mm -hmm. So with that, I had to find ways to take step to take myself off of different um, different collaborations in in the school, mm -hmm. so that I could have more time for myself. Mm -hmm. And that actually doing less helped me actually be better. Mm -hmm. It helped me realize. Um, it helped me be able to unlock other potentials within myself. Mm that helps me be a better teacher. Um, so now if it's the weekend, I, I try to get everything done on Friday. So mm -hmm. I don't have anything to do on the weekend. I can relax. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm going on vacation, I'm not bringing schoolwork with me. Mm -hmm. I'm taking a vacation mm -hmm. and maybe I'll go in an hour early from work and I'll try to get done what I mm -hmm. can get done during that time. One of the things I loved in seeing you in action was your morning meetings. Even though when COVID hit, remotely, you made sure that those morning meetings happened, that students were able to plot how they were feeling. You also use yourself to model. And I always shouted you out for that. You didn't notice that, that you were probably letting some of your own burnout come out because this was stressful. Here we are learning remotely, kids are at home. For someone who's used to having them right in front of them, they were still there but it was happening, you know, virtually. So that, to me, was a big part of seeing your growth in so many ways because you were able to include emotional learning into your classroom, and that was not a negotiable. Like, you, that, that's how you started your day. You made sure everyone plotted their feelings, and at the end of the day, you had a restorative circle. Mm -hmm. Why was that important to you in your classroom community, whether you did it remotely, whether when they came in person? Why was that important to you? So shout out to there's a teacher that I saw on YouTube years ago mm -hmm. who had a, her morning meeting started with this is the way yeah. hey yeah. we start yeah. the day yeah. hey yeah. we get the knowledge <laughs> hey to yeah. go to college yeah. hey but don't stop there yeah. hey go anywhere hey yep. this is the way hey, hey. we start the day Hey, yep. we started our day like that every single morning. Yeah. So when COVID shut us down, <laughs> that was us in a yes. Zoom meeting. Yes. Well, all 17 kids, if they made it, even if they made it just for that morning chant, that is how we always started. And um, we opened up the space for, I opened up the space for kids to share anything they wanted to share about. They know they only had a little bit of time. Mm. And I taught them how to be good listeners when someone else is sharing. Mm. Why? Because we need that, right? Mm -hmm. We have, when you have conversations, you have to learn how to listen to others. You mm -hmm. have to learn how to comment back if it's time for that. Mm -hmm. So opening the space for SEL naturally is just giving students voice. Mm. You have to give them the space to share. They experience so many things during the day. We got to remember, like, these kids are young. They're just they're just learning mm -hmm. how, to, how to move and how to how to live life. Right. Let's not get it twisted. They do try you, though. Oh, they oh, yes. Try you. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And if there was a time that 
I lost it because there have been times mm -hmm. um, that after I've said something multiple times, systems are in place, things mm -hmm. are in place, but they just making the wrong choice and mm -hmm. I have to tender love, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. With firmness mm -hmm. and I'll just lose it and yep. I'll yell. Mm -hmm. And then I'll reflect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll reflect with them and mm -hmm. I'll say, boys and girls, Miss Lila's in the red. Yep. I am very angry mm -hmm. because and now, now I'm like stone face, right? Mm -hmm. I'm very angry because I've asked you multiple times that it's time for us to get started. Whatever the situation was, I will lay it out for them clear as day. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'll turn back and say, but mm -hmm. I sh couldn't, I should have not responded that way. Maybe I needed to count down. Maybe I needed to take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could have just stopped and told mm -hmm. everyone to stop what they're doing and come sit on the rug with me. Mm. and just have a conversation about my expectation. So I always reflect with them because mm -hmm. I'm human. They're human. So whenever I had a bad moment, or I mean, my kids have seen me cry before too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Law was wrong. Mm -hmm. I'll just say, I'm just so tired. I just want the best for you guys because I know how intelligent and smart you are. Mm -hmm. But it just breaks my heart when after everything that we've been working on, it'll be like April, mm -hmm. after everything we've been working on, you guys are acting like it's the first day of school. I'm just mm -hmm. so heartbroken. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'll share that with them. Yes. And they understand that. Mm -hmm. So I have to say that's like that's one of the things I miss about having a classroom mm -hmm. is that community and that love that we build mm -hmm. because they're kids, I'm human, they're human, we mm -hmm. all make mistakes and in mm -hmm. the classroom you, you learn about it together and you help mm -hmm. build that community. Could you tell us a little bit about as an interventionist now, mm -hmm. do you get to see how many students, how does that work? Just summarize it for us. Yeah, so as an interventionist, I could be working with 30 to up to maybe 60 kids, depending on the caseload and, and the help. And those kids are all determined based on, you know, reading scores. Mm -hmm. And I work with students who are performing a little bit or well below grade level and try to help build up those basic foundational skills. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I still bring back the same the same um, language that I use in the classroom. So mm. when I have a student that really struggles with reading and they're like, Miss but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm like, but what do I always tell you? And they look at me mm -hmm. with a face that's like, oh, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. I got this. Because mm -hmm. I've been saying that from day one. They yes. always goes back to, I got this. Mm -hmm. um, and so I am still able to bring in that social emotional piece that emotional piece that um encouragement mm -hmm. those affirmations mm -hmm. because when you have students who struggle with reading a lot of the times when they're much younger they they don't realize it but as they get older they realize it a lot more and they try to hide it a lot more and it affects their confidence mm. so when they're when they're with me they have to go through a moment in time when they realize miss Lyle's going to push me mm -hmm. and it's going to be hard mm -hmm. but she's not trying to hurt me yeah and i've seen you do the getting closer kneeling on one mm -hmm. knee lowering your voice to make sure that your message is sent and lots of respect for you on that you know when we're when we talk about some of the research that has been done for students of color there are so many do you pay attention to these stats do you worry about how we fare on assessments and standardized testing is that really something that really worries you yes um, of course, it worries me. It's mm -hmm. what keeps me going. Mm. Um, 
it's extremely overwhelming to think of. And what helps me is what what has helped me is the steps that I've taken. Like mm. it is a extremely vast problem, mm-hmm. but in bite size, what I think of what I can do to help in that area is what I have done is move into teaching mm. is having conversations with parents mm-hmm. that are not just like this is what your this is what your child got on the test no mm-hmm. i go into details about it mm. um it's going back to school to become a remedial reading teacher mm-hmm. because the foundations i think is the most important mm-hmm. it's knowing that at some point in my future, don't know what it's going to look like, but it's knowing that I may eventually work with adults who struggle with reading mm. and knowing that reading is a freedom. So if if I can help five students in one year become mm. proficient readers who may not have ever a- attained it, mm-hmm. that is for me a blessing. Mm. So although this problem is vast mm-hmm. and just overwhelming in itself i am focusing on the bite size Mm -hmm. of what i can do i'm focusing on if a teacher comes to me and they ask me how can i help this student Mm -hmm. i'm going to give them an answer Mm -hmm. well i'm going to find an answer for them Mm -hmm. and i'm grateful when they come and and reach out and say this is what i'm seeing what are you doing with them separately Mm -hmm. um if i have a parent that has a question for me I'm going to show them exactly what I do with their child mm. because they can do this at home too. Yes. It's not, it's not teaching reading is not something that being able to help someone learn how to read is not unattainable. And it's not mm-hmm. this big, vast dictionary type of thing that you have to get into. But if I can show you, if I, I can visually show you how to do exactly what it is that I'm doing, then you can feel confident as a parent to be able to help your child at home. So is there something that our black and brown learners or even the parents that they can probably do to help us level this playing field? Is there something that they can begin to do at home? Because some of us obviously were were working moms, Mm -hmm. two jobs, sometimes three jobs, Mm -hmm. sometimes single um, households, et cetera. What are things that we can do in the home front to kind of support level this playing field i'm going to start with my mom Mm. um growing up she always had books around us Mm. sometimes she would come home um she was a room attendant so she worked a very physical job Mm. she would come home and be extremely exhausted Mm. sometimes she would take us to the park and other times she took us to the library and we just went to the library and we just read any books we wanted to read. I can still remember the smell of books <laughs> in mm, the library. That's right. <clears throat> um, you know, learning for children doesn't just happen at school. It starts at home too. I mean, from showing your child that education is important, like maybe they might not need to spend all day you know, playing video games or mm. whatever it might be. If you have to leave your child with a babysitter, is there a way that you can ensure that there are flashcards in their book bag? Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you can ensure they have a 
composition notebook from the dollar store mm -hmm. just for one dollar mm -hmm. get them some pencils mm -hmm. and just make sure that at four years old or three years old they mm -hmm. have experience using crayons mm -hmm. and pencils and mm -hmm. i've had kids in kindergarten who come in and they're like i don't know how to hold a pencil mm. why don't you know how to hold a pencil so i'm going to show you of course but mm -hmm. as parents we can try to show our kids how important education is and it doesn't mean that like my grandmother used to walk around with a belt on mm. her shoulder it doesn't mean that learning has to be scary mm -hmm. it can be fun mm -hmm. it can be okay let's look at the cereal box yes what letter is this on the cereal box oh mm. b what sound does the b make b okay mm -hmm. um it can be you playing word games with them mm -hmm. playing rhyming games with them where they're not looking at words but you guys are maybe driving in the car or you're getting mm -hmm. on the bus and you say oh what word rhymes, rhymes with cat mm -hmm. what word rhymes with gap and having your child play with mm -hmm. you know that's the phonological awareness that's the phonemic awareness where they're just mm -hmm. um giving you words that rhyme with the other words or you give them the word bottle oh i have a bottle what's the first word the first sound in bottle mm. book right or they have um if they're in New York, they have a Metro card. Mm -hmm. Metro. What's the first sound in Metro? Mm. Mm. What's the last sound in card? Mm -hmm. Right. And just walking and talking, walking and talking and just having these different conversations. And from there, things, other things you can do at home is, okay, we practice doing the sounds while we were walking. Mm -hmm. Now I want us to practice writing those letters. If you have the word card, the first sound is k. What letter says k? The letter C. Let's write it. Mm. The next sound is, the last sound is d. Card. Mm -hmm. What letter says d? D. Mm -hmm. Now let's write it. Mm. Now, when we get into the deeper phonics, right? Because mm. card has k, r, d. Mm. Now, what I just did is another skill. It's called phoneme segmentation. Mm. That's pulling out the individual sounds in the word. So you have k, r, d. Now your child is going to say, oh, I hear R in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. But that sound R is not the name of the letter R. It's actually an R-controlled vowel that's spelled A-R. Mm. So when I say kids don't just learn their ABCs, they have to learn those other syllable types. So the A-R, the R-controlled, is a syllable type and it has a different spelling pattern mm -hmm. so all of those vowel combinations like in the word rain you have r a n you have the r you have the a i that says a and mm -hmm. you have n the mm -hmm. n and so different things that you can do is showing your child those different patterns in words if you read to your child at home it's mm -hmm. okay if Maybe they see the word was so mm -hmm. many times and they keep getting the word was wrong mm -hmm. because they look at the word was and they're like, okay, was, 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 right? And I, I would know like when you're teaching a child something and you see that they're, they're not getting it, sometimes it can be very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Even worse, if maybe school was hard for you and we may take our, our stress out on children. Mm. Um, but we have to try our best not to because a word like was it does it, do, it doesn't sound the way that it's actually spelled mm. can you tell us about the the mlo students the mm -hmm. multilingual learners now here is a student who is now learning the language and probably being exposed for the first time and mom and dad or both can't support mm -hmm. what is something that they can do 
our MLL students, they're, they're still processing language. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the first thing is to sit down and, and read with them mm. and tell the child like, okay, you're going to be the teacher. You're going to teach me something that you learned. Mm -hmm. And every day, if they come home and try to teach their parents something that they learned, mm -hmm. there's a way that they can interact with the information that they receive a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. If their teacher is giving them or using similar strategies with them every day, mm -hmm. and they can take that strategy home and say, okay, now this is how we're going to sound out the word. This is how we're going to blend it. Mm -hmm. They will then begin to ingrain what they're learning in the classroom at home. Yep. So this way the child doesn't, it's not that they need to look for their parents to for help, mm -hmm. but they can try to be their own teacher while at home. So there are so much studies and research and things, articles. So recently ran into this article, uh, Inequality, it's a June 6, 2020 article in the Forbes magazine says it talks about how reading instruction is failing our students of color. And we're talking about college and career readiness, elementary school, high school, so on and so forth. I've read several articles myself and I've looked at some data. There's some studies that do speak to how we fare, black and brown students and how we compare to white students. How do you feel about hearing this information when this is spoken to you, whether that's as a teacher, as a student, as a learner, what are you what are you thinking about? Um, I I feel that there is a sense of urgency mm. for us to do something different now, so that twenty years from now this data looks different. Mm. You know, this article that I'm that I'm sharing about, um, we can share the link as a resource later. But this article talked about eighteen percent of fourth grade students were not meeting proficiency and this percentage when we talk about it we're thinking about national tests that always is a big stickler for us students of color and we're thinking about these numbers 18 percent for black students 45 percent for white students fourth graders so the white students are in meeting proficiency yet when we go deeper, eighth grade, black learners, 15%, and white students at 42%. So once again, is there anything to be told about this information? And for us, it's daunting. Although the white students are at 42% in eighth grade, we're still at 15%. And that number continues to dip down for us. What is that saying to you about what we are not doing or what we can think about? What goes through your mind? Um, I think that there needs to be a bigger focus on literacy achievement. Mm. I think that in the earlier grades and even in um, early birth, mm -hmm. I know that there are different programs for toddlers zero to three, mm -hmm. ensuring that communities have access to programs when they when children are just born mm -hmm. um, involved in some type of learning that involves play lots of play and learning mm -hmm. um, but i do think that there needs to be a bigger focus on literacy achievement because i think everything else comes from there
mm-hmm. being able to when I think about um our students of color mm-hmm. and the material that's put in front of them number my number one thing is I want them to be able to read every single word on that page mm. um from there I want them to have a vast vocabulary they're going to come with a vast vocabulary when they're reading more text mm-hmm. at grade level above grade level they need to be exposed to more text um I think that teacher preparation programs need to have a larger focus on remedial reading courses. When I was in school, I had one or two um, literacy courses. However, in beginning my teaching, I still did not feel fully prepared to Mm. teach reading. So whether I'm a ninth grade teacher or an eighth grade teacher or a 12th grade teacher, I should still know the full foundations of reading and how to teach it. Everyone should be a remedial reading specialist. Yes. Um, I do also believe that students need to continue to have access to science and arts programs. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for our students to um, touch achievement and to be exposed to everything Mm -hmm. because a lot of the times I don't know if I can say a lot of the time, sometimes um, conversations that happen in different homes, they don't all look the same. Mm. And it's our responsibility to ensure that children feel like they can achieve. How do you show someone that they can achieve something? Mm. You show them that they can touch it. Mm -hmm. You show them that they can exist there. Mm -hmm. You show them that it's not unattainable. Once they see that it's attainable, then, okay, what what do we got to do? to get you there, to Mm. get you to that place. So um, helping to build that belief in ourselves and ensuring that there are resources and after-school programs available to kids, after-school programs that focus on reading achievement, Mm -hmm. um, where students who who are reading on grade level, they also need to be pushed. Mm. They also need to be pushed, and they need to be pushed so that they can be outperforming other students Big right up. yes so we have to ensure that we have that enrichment available for them our students who are struggling reader readers they need additional support mm-hmm. either it's going to come from the school which would be great it maybe it comes from programs that have grants maybe it comes from a parent is able to to give their child some tutoring mm. but when it's when a child has a reading um, deficiency it is important to hop on that right away. Mm. The longer it lingers, it is harder to remediate the issue and the problem. And we go to that stat, 2003, Mm -hmm. where some of our, you know, grown now men and women Mm -hmm. are incarcerated and they can't read. I mean, I can't thank you enough for, for dropping all of this knowledge. And I know that our audience who is listening is really in tuned to this helpful information. Tell us about some of the things that you're working on to help parents to kind of narrow these gaps right now. Mm-hmm. I'm currently working on um, providing some workshops, virtual and in person, mm-hmm. to help parents understand the ins and out of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the times we think reading is just about memorizing words, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. When reading with 
our children, sometimes we get frustrated for them not reading a word correctly mm-hmm. or yell at them or mm-hmm. shame them, but mm-hmm. that's not really helping them mm-hmm. build their belief in themselves, mm-hmm. especially when reading is hard and they're trying to do everything that they can and they don't even understand why they don't get it. Mm. Um, so the workshops that you have are free mm-hmm. workshops? Uh, currently, the in-person ones I have right now are free. Okay. I am doing a few virtual sessions that look different than the in-person workshops. Can you tell us how that works and how can our mm-hmm. audiences kind of connect with that? Yeah, so my um, in-person workshops involve you know, going through the ins and outs of reading and providing resources to the community mm-hmm. and in the hopes of parents are attending with their children so that we can work on some of the skills together. Mm-hmm. Our my um And this is taking place currently in West Haven. Okay. We have we have um something coming up on May twenty fourth in West Haven mm-hmm. um public library mm-hmm. that'll run from five thirty to six thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the signups for that will be going out soon. Okay. In terms of the virtual options, that is geared with my my mm-hmm. reading program that I offer. Okay. And so what I try to do with that, within my reading program, if someone were to sign up, they would receive, um, if they were to sign their child up for the reading program, they would receive those parent workshops for free. Okay. However, I have access to the workshops for a small fee, mm-hmm. and those workshops are tiered out. So it's not just one workshop. It may be four workshops that addresses all of the components of reading. So that mm-hmm. that's why that one has a small fee to it. So for our listeners in New York and beyond, is there a place that they can, and when you provide this information to us, I'll put this up on our website as a resource on my on my uh, He's Just website page so that they can have access to this virtually as well. So we will put that up so that we can have that information up and tell us how we can connect virtually. Now, a parent who is listening mm-hmm. really tuned in to what you were saying to us today. Sure. So you can send an email for your interest to three A's. So that's a number three, mm-hmm. the letter A mm-hmm. and S, mm-hmm. readingacademy at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Currently, I'm taking requests through there, mm-hmm. and I'll send you a link to my mm-hmm. um, uh, to my calendly yeah. in mm-hmm. which you can set up an appointment with me because for me it's really important that my virtual parents who would be coming on it's really important for me to get background knowledge on what you are experiencing with your scholar mm. and what it is that you're looking for mm-hmm. because a lot of my sessions and things that I do are individualized so I take what information I get from my family is I try to make sure that they are able to get what it is they need from the workshop or get what it is that they need for their child, what their goals are for them. So I meet with each per each family member individually. Mm-hmm. So now I want to get into some resources that parents and students can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us of some resources that they can now get to to kind of support their reading yes and i know that you talked about explode the code and the yak pack the codable comics are there other books that you think are helpful or maybe tuning into a specific program that kind of helps out yeah so definitely in terms of if your child is struggling with decoding explode the code goes through all of the different 
spelling skills, all of the different vowel teams, mm -hmm. how to um, read multisyllabic words. Mm -hmm. The yak pack the quotables it's actually comics and kids mm -hmm. love comic books mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so it, you know if you have a young student who is on short vowel sounds mm -hmm. they'll be able to read well with that i'd say if you have a child who is still practicing and in the early phases of decoding mm -hmm. if you go on amazon and just research decodable books mm -hmm. you can even go on google mm -hmm. you might be able to find some black and white decodable books there as well mm -hmm. um if your child is a bit older, I also definitely recommend getting a reading tutor. Mm -hmm. And there is um, there are a lot of options out there for finding a tutor online, mm -hmm. whether it be through varsity tutors, um, mm -hmm. lots of different programs. However, I would advise that whoever you sign up with, it's your job to ensure that this person is qualified to mm -hmm. teach your child how to read. You don't quite want someone who is just going to offer homework help. Mm -hmm. You want someone who's going to sit down and say, I'm going to give your child a reading assessment. I'm going to see where they are. They're going to provide you a detailed report mm -hmm. on what skills your child needs. They need to provide you with a detailed plan of how they're going to help your child succeed. Um, and I think that that's a very valuable app option as mm. well well before you go can you have some words of encouragement or anything you want to say to our listeners on our show and we have been blessed you have dropped a lot of knowledge for us and we thank you for that is there anything you want everyone to know about you or reading or anything that to look out for um I think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an option mm -hmm. if you're looking, if you just want to sit down and have a conversation and mm -hmm. how you can better help, I'm definitely mm -hmm. an option mm -hmm. um, for you there. I also think it's important for you to know your child is trying the best that they can. Mm. They may have a few things stacked against them, but mm -hmm. they are trying the best that they can. So mm -hmm. to go in with their reading with grace, patience, patience, mm. patience, and understanding. Um, I can't say how important grace is. Every child is different. When it comes to reading, there are so many intricacies. Intric intricacies? Yes. Okay. I can't you. get it out. Can I get it out? There are so many different parts to it that, um, and you know, I'm, I'm speaking from experience too, of just like when I was having difficulties as a child and someone getting frustrated with me when I was really trying my best. And so I just encourage all of our parents to be that that heightened encouragement for the for their child, mm. to be that person in in your child's life who believes in them, who sees that they're trying their best, who sees that they may need something a little bit different, mm. and who can approach them with mm. grace. Grace is so important for a child who is is struggling with reading and is struggling with understanding because they have to go into school and deal with recognizing that they don't know what their friends know. Mm. They are dealing with embarrassment. They are dealing with feeling less than, and these are feelings that they don't even know how to process yet. These are feelings that may come out in behavioral disruption. Mm. These are feelings that come out in, in silence, mm -hmm. them shutting down. So just, just know that your child is a genius. Your child is this yes. genius in this little bottle that like has to be groomed and mm -hmm. formed and loved on. And we're going to try our best to do everything that we can for them. Well, we love you, girl. And we're so honored that you joined 
our show today, you know, because the He's Just a Social Worker movement was born because just way too often we were labeled, we were put in a box, we were overlooked. And our plight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. And if I were to think about something that stood out for me, which is a word that you always say, we got this. <laughs> and look out for the He's Just a Social Worker movement coming soon to a town near you. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker.